Think Public Health is a podcast by the students of the Lomalinda University School of Public Health, exploring the world from a public health perspective. Join us as we investigate issues in the media by talking to experts, students, and community members about the relevance of public health in everyday living. This is Think Public Health. Welcome to another episode of Think Public Health podcast. In the studio is my co-host, Anthony. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing out there? Yeah, so, um, you know, it's kind of interesting, Anthony, because I'm always this girl who's always on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was reading lately that home- homelessness is a big problem. Right. And I know in our last episode, you actually had some experience with, you know, seeing persons who are homeless. Right. And... Um, no, share with us what it, what is that experience like? You know, I mean, well, I've had experience. I, I did have experience. I think in the last podcast I talked about more experience in Colombia, mm-hmm. South America. I would say another experience I've had is just for people who don't understand where we're located. We're in a small university mm-hmm. town called Loma Linda. Mm-hmm. It's in a pretty affluent town, I would say, relatively, but. It's also located in a county called San Bernardino Uh County, which has a problem with homelessness. So we're doing a, um, what they call a sidewalk survey, where you go around a community before you actually do research in it. And you, and you, and then you go and you see like, what are the needs of this community? Uh And then uh, we were able to communicate with a lot of homeless people in the community and what that does for you is at first it reminds you whoa like this is a reality there's an issue Mm -hmm. of homelessness Mm -hmm. but then when you get to talk with the people who are homeless about their stories Mm -hmm. you realize wow this is not just a problem of specifically homelessness this Mm -hmm. is a problem of affordable housing Mm -hmm. you know people who actually have jobs Mm -hmm. but aren't able to afford housing there's a problem with mental health there's Uh a problem with how we help our veterans who come back from war so it's not just a individual problem problem. it's a public health it's a public health problem you know and it's interesting that you said so because the centers for disease control and Mm -hmm. prevention you know they were talking about the whole problem of homelessness as relates to public health and they said that homeless persons actually have higher rates of a lot of health problems such as HIV infections, Mm -hmm. alcohol, drug abuse, mental illness as you mentioned, tuberculosis and um, and when they look at as you were saying the barriers associated are the reasons for homelessness they're kind of things that we could have prevented right, right? right. Um, lack of access to inadequate food affordable housing you know limited resources to social services all of those kind of things so as we talk about this whole thing of homelessness and how is a public health issue um, what are some ways that we can tackle this problem of homelessness. And I guess that's where we're going to go into today, actually, with our guest. Um, Dr. Seth Wiafe is actually the head of the GIS program here at Loma Linda University School of Public Health, Um, actually for the whole Loma Linda University Health, and he's one of the professors here at the School of Public Health. Um, Dr. Wiafe, one of these different um, keys to tackling homelessness has been GIS. And a lot of my friends are 
going and getting the finishing their master's program. They're going uh, to different jobs, and a lot of their employees are saying, "Excuse me." Um, employers are saying, "Excuse me, do you have GIS experience? Uh, can you tell us about GIS? Are you GIS proficient? Can you tell us?" What in the world, GIS? GIS. <laughs> you know, can you tell, like, what is this GIS thing that all of our employers are asking us about, and why is it important? Thank you so much, uh, uh, Anthony. Um, before I get into the definition of GIS, mm -hmm. I want to just touch a little bit on the homelessness issue, okay. because it is one of the social issues that has come to really plague us today, and. I want to look at it from a social point of view. Um, coming from a different culture, I see why it's very difficult here because of the fact that you're on your own kind of a thing. Right. Um, and so there is not much social support if you run into some issues. And so that is something that I think uh, eventually we would need to look at and say, okay, so if I have a problem, where do I go to mm -hmm. talk to? Um, and so some of these things could be um, resolved as a, a social issue. But it's not only in Loma Linda or in San Bernardino County that um, homelessness is an issue. Actually, it's in the whole country right. and probably around the whole world. Mm -hmm. But I think we do not have a good way of understanding it. First of all, being a homeless means you do not have a physical location. Right. Now, GIS is based on location. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's try to understand what this GIS is all about and see how we can use the idea of GIS to understand homelessness. So GIS, by definition, is Geographic Information Systems. And I always want the systems, the mm -hmm. S, to come out. Because it composes of a number of things. It's not just one thing. First of all, geographic. Information. Systems. The systems is made up of computers, people, technology to understand how you manipulate the data to provide you or produce an information. So initially you start with data. Data is just raw. Right. You have to manipulate that data to produce an information. And the key is geographic because it's linked to where on this planet. And so with the understanding of GPS, which is Global Positioning System, you'll be able to locate pretty much anything, anywhere on the planet. This technology is not new. It goes way back, and I can think of 1854. Right, right. During the time of Dr. John, John Snow, Snow in right. England. I mean, when I think about that story, where he had to hand draw a map. I don't know how long it took. <laughs> <laughs> the difficulties you went through 
but he was able to then produce a map that demonstrated where people were dying from and the location where the pumps that they were getting water was. But GIS helped him in one way, and that is it helped him to identify the infected pumps. What he did was he removed the handle of those pumps. And as soon as he did that, people did not have access to those infected wells. Therefore, they started getting wet. And that is where GIS comes into public health. My definition of GIS is it is a science mm -hmm. and technology that helps us to understand our world. So there is a science behind understanding locational issues. And there's a technology. So we talked about John Snow. At that time, there was not much technology. But today, we have the technology at our fingertips. So it makes it even much easier and probably more efficient in our day now than it used to be in 1854. Mm. So GIS allows us to really understand locational relationships and how that um, influence or affect public health. So I see how that would be applicable for the, let's say, epidemiology students. But let's say there's someone who has a nutrition background, uh, for example. How can they use GIS um, in their profession? So let me say that even though we expect epidemiology students mm -hmm. to use GIS more for some reason that is not the issue <laughs> now I use it and I'm glad you pointed out epidemiology because by definition epidemiology is the study of people places and time right mm -hmm. so if you are an AP student one-third of what you should be doing should be GIS. <laughs> now, Dr. John Snow was an epidemiologist, but he understood the impact of location in his work. So it's probably easier to think of epidemiology and GIS. But when it comes to nutrition, <laughs> right? <laughs> so with my layman's knowledge of nutrition. Okay. It deals with food. Something with food. Something with food, right? <laughs> now, the first question is, where is this food grown? Mm -hmm. okay. I'll think about that. Okay. okay, I know that there are certain plants that by design do not grow in certain areas. Right. Therefore, if you want certain types of food, that kind of food will have to be imported from somewhere. Okay. So if I'm a nutrition student, I'll be thinking about, okay, where are these foods coming from? Where can I get this type of food to prepare my nutritious <laughs> meal, right? Mm -hmm. I would start thinking of mapping them. Okay. Because they come from somewhere. They were grown somewhere. 
I'm sure maybe some of you have heard about food desert. Yeah. Right. Or the concept of food desert. You just So food desert means food is not found okay. at that place. It's a desert of food. Uh-huh. So you don't expect to see the food there. It's a very interesting concept. So there are certain places around us where people are actually starving. Right. That's true. So if you're a nutrition student, one of the questions I'll ask you is, where are those places? Where are people starving? So GIS, so what I got you saying is that GIS will help us to identify those places. So then that persons like Anthony, who's doing health education, can um, do like a um, public health intervention to address those needs. Exactly. Okay. So so GIS by itself, can help you identify some things, but it's not enough. You need to follow that up with intervention. Mm-hmm. So if we go back to Dr. John Snow, he used GIS to identify those pumps, but that wasn't the end of it. He did something to help the people to stop dying. Okay. So if you identify those areas where people don't have enough to eat, you need to do something about that by identifying with GIS where they have plenty. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. Right? So you can then come up with a balance. So you can transport or you can find a way to make sure that those people get enough to eat. And that is what we are not doing very well. Which, um, which is one of the questions that we have. Um, what can we do like, as individuals or like students to get more involved in GIS? Because this is a kind of new topic to me. I've heard about it. Um, one of our um, team members, she's actually involved in the GIS club. But, you know, you just hear about GIS and say, okay, well, that's, as you said, epidemiology. <laughs> but I don't think everybody fully understand how they can use GIS to actually tackle public health problems. Yes, and this has been an issue that um, we identified many years ago as a school. Mm -hmm. Because I used to get students who graduate and they go back and then they come back and say, oh gosh, I wish I had learned some GIS. So what we've done right now to help students and this was an effort that took many years, that we don't want a student to graduate from this school without at least a little basic understanding of GIS. So what we've done is through the PCOR at the master's level, we've built some modules within that program. So more or less, it is part of the class that you take at a very minimum level so that you get that basic exposure. And then if you feel that that is really important for you, then you can then take additional courses that we have because we have standalone courses, credited courses, Mm -hmm. that you can use as cognate. You can use them as electives. Mm -hmm. In fact, I've seen a number of doctoral students using our 12 unit cognate as part of their 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 their, their program courses interesting so 
to begin with, I think doctoral level, we haven't done that yet by coming up with a PCOR type for doctoral students. Mm -hmm. But all doctoral students take one of my classes, Building Healthy Communities. So if you're a doctoral student and you haven't taken that, it's coming. <laughs> In that class, at least one of the modules, modules mm -hmm. is GIS because you need to do assessment. And to do community-based assessment, GIS is very useful. So with that, I think it will help students. And what I would like students to take advantage of is the various resources that we have on campus whilst you are a student here. So the GIS Club is one of those that is helping to at least let students know that there is a GIS on campus. Right. Yeah. Now, my advice to students is that you need to explore. It is a new language. We normally don't discuss the special aspect of our lives. Mm -hmm. We normally don't talk about it, but everybody uses GIS, mm -hmm. everybody. If you are traveling from your home to your friend's home, what do you do? Put the GPS Put on. the GPS on. <laughs> so what are you doing there? I always use GPS, <laughs> no matter how many times I've been to some place. All right. <laughs> So we, we, we do it subconsciously, right, mm -hmm. right. but sometimes I feel like the terminology mm. is pushing us away. Geographic information system, come on, that is so complicated. Yeah. Well, that's actually a question I had because I think it's something we talked about yesterday. Yeah. Um, a lot of people who I know want to get involved in GIS, a question that they have for me and they ask you and they ask other people who have taken GIS is, is it hard? You know, even though we're a millennial generation, um, a lot of us, are, you know, our generation is actually known for being, you know, technologically savvy relatively. But uh, the question that a lot of us have is, you know, can we do this GIS thing? Is it complicated? What do you say to those people who ask the question about how complicated the GIS could be? So I'll take it in two ways. One, the technology piece, right? So there's the technology part where you need to know how to at least operate a basic computer. What I tell students like that is, do you know how to do a mouse click? <laughs> <laughs> Because that may sound very simple. Actually, on my free time, if I have any left, <laughs> I help um, the elderly mm -hmm. because the elderly receive these computers and all that stuff for Facebook and all that stuff, and they, are, they have them, but they don't know how to operate them. So my lesson number one is how to operate the mouse. Now, it will, it will interest you to know how much some of them really struggle to understand how the mouse and the computer actually work. Mm -hmm. So if you know how to click a mouse, you can do GIS. Yeah, right, right. For me, the hardest part is the concept, okay. the special thinking aspect of that. Mm -hmm. Because you've got to approach GIS from a problem-solving mode. Mm 
it is there to solve a problem for you. And you need to think through what is my problem. So if you are able to come up with that concept of I have a problem, then the technology is going to help you to deal with it. The problem I see is if I am a student and I had an issue in that class, I try to communicate that to the next batch of students. <laughs> so they have that in their mind that this is very hard. Right. No, it is not hard. And I say this because if I'm able to do GIS, everyone can do it. Yeah. So it's not hard. It is like every course that you take. My question is, if you knew how to do that, you, you wouldn't be here. So you are here to learn. And so put on that learning cap and approach it in that way. Once you get it, it becomes infectious. In fact, sustained within you that you'll be using it throughout. Now, think of it also in a technological sense. That nowadays, technology is changing every second. Now it's actually much, much, much easier to do GIS than 15 years ago. Because those times, you need to learn how to write the codes. Right. And if you don't know how to write those codes, you can't. It doesn't work. But right now, they have packaged it in such a way that it's out of box solutions because most of the problems we have it's not very you know it doesn't require too much complications we have to approach it in a very simple way so is it hard it is a learning process it is a new language that you are learning and any new thing that you start to learn you find it a bit challenging than you know any other thing that you do yeah but i noticed what you said it um it teaches critical thinking and i think as a public health professional there's a skill even um our previous guests have said there's a skill that we have to we have to um we have to develop because public health problems are complex you know right. and at the end of the day like sometimes you think okay well this is a problem but as you you go even further into analysis you realize no that's that's just like the symptoms of, right. a, of a bigger problem and so i think as you were saying doing gis can actually help the public health professional to be a better public health professional because it develops the critical thinking yeah. skills. So let me just say this once you say you are doing GIS, mm -hmm. there are at least five or six things that must come together. You need to have the computer, you need to have the software, you need to have methods, you need to have the processes to do that, you need to have very good team that works together. And that's one thing that GIS does, it's a teamwork. Got to collaborate. It has to Welcome collaborate. Welcome to public health. <laughs> <laughs> so when you put all this together, I say people that do GIS are smarter. Okay. <laughs> so it, we're talking a lot about the concept of GIS, but um, let's, if we could get a little practical now in the sense that I, I know you work on the, I think the Ghana Breast Health Study, mm -hmm. um, the you work with veterans in yeah. the, I think, home cancer screening. Yeah. Um, so 
Can you give our audience kind of a practical way in where GIS can be applied? Okay, so let's talk about the Veterans Project. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, colorectal cancer, mm -hmm. as we know, is the second leading cause of death in this country. Mm -hmm. Cancer in general, if you are able to detect the symptoms early, there is treatment. So screening is very critical for cancer in general. For colorectal cancer, they have what we call the FIT testing, the fecal immunochemical testing. And the way it does is that they will give a patient a kit. The patient will take the kit home, smear some fecal matter on the kit, and mail it to the hospital. Okay. So what we found out with our VA hospital here at Loma Linda was that 50% of the patients that have been advised to go and provide the sample do not return it. Hmm. It's at 50%. 50%. Wow. So we thought that this may be due to several things. It could be the environment, it could be money, it could be, we don't know. So we wanted to identify areas within three counties actually, Riverside County, um, San Bernardino County, and Inyo County, where there, is, there are concentrations of veterans that do not or do adhere to this fit testing. Because if we are able to do that, then we can advise the clinicians mm -hmm. and say, hey, patient A is coming to see you tomorrow and he's the high risk area so that you can then advise or have a talk with this person so we've identified certain areas in the county where adherence is very low. Okay. But what we did was we integrated several sets of data. One of them is tapestry. Tapestry is a lifestyle segmentation database produced by Esri. We also looked at the health literacy index and then what we call area deprivation index. So we put all this data with the patient location and that helped us to now identify areas of high risk mm -hmm. that now we are working on a different process to kind of intervene on these um, patients that are very high risk in those particular um, areas. That's quite interesting. Recently, we also embarked on another study looking at suicide mortality. Now, if you have been listening to the news of late, suicide rate is going high. Mm -hmm. And we, there's no good data out there, mm -hmm. but we're able to get about 17 years of data from the state health department um, office and we found something very interesting basically mapping 
and identifying areas of clusters, high clusters of, of, of suicide, people who suicide. committed mm -hmm. suicide. Mm -hmm. We found out that areas around military bases in Southern California wow. have high rate of suicide. Oh. We don't know why, but it's an ongoing research that we want to find out why around, in fact, within 20 miles of um, military bases, even if there are not many people there. So that was an interesting um, finding that we we hope to f um, pursue this research to understand what is actually going on there. You have an interesting background and you're in GIS. Can you tell us the story of how you got introduced to GIS and why? Why are you in GIS? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's a very interesting um, um, topic because GIS was very new or maybe unknown to me when I first immigrated to this country 21 years ago. Mm. That was not my background. My background was medical technology, and I came to this country to pursue that. But when I got here, it was very difficult to pursue that without wasting significant amount of years of my life right. working on prerequisites and all that stuff. So I was introduced to really three programs that was being offered at the School of Public Health. One of them was health geographics, there was wellness management, and there was biomedical data management. My wife was in the same issue. Mm -hmm. So when I went home in the evening, I told her about you know the programs that we could look at as um, possible areas of enrollment. She immediately jumped on to say, um, I want wellness management. So I was left with two choices. <laughs> so I went back to the program director at that time and tried to explore those options. Um, I couldn't understand what I could get from the biomedical data management. Maybe he didn't explain to me well or something, but it didn't attract me. But the health geographics was like, this is cool, you know? Mm -hmm. Sounded good, you know? <laughs> so I said, that's the program I, I, I want to get into. And he looked at me and said, no, what, you from Africa? Mm. You want to get into this? This is about computers and all that stuff. I think he meant well, mm. looking back. But I decided to take up that challenge wow. and demonstrate that, you know, I can do it. So that's where I went. And I told him, I promise him I will invite you to my graduation. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, it was interesting. But I also wanted to show to some of my professors and some of my classmates that I'm learning something. And I remember very well, we used to go for um, field trips and I was collecting addresses at the places where um, we, we were going. So I literally begged 
the professor on the last day because I was creating maps mm -hmm. behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I begged the professor. Some of them are still here. <laughs> if I could. What about the one guy who said that you couldn't do it? Oh, that faculty is no more. Okay. <laughs> he is no more here. But I mean, we've. I think we've gone over that okay. because after I graduated, he, they invited me to a certain church, to talk about my story, and lo and behold, he was the one <laughs> to host me. <laughs> so I love it. Yeah. So we, we've 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 gone over Good. that, and yeah. But uh, like I said, I think he was very honest trying to say what he knew mm -hmm. and so i don't I, I don't i'm holding any any accountable for for that but anyway so i begged my professors if i can show them a map of the places that we have been visiting so they gave me a chance on the last day of class to show a little gis that i have learned two years into the program that is when I really saw the benefit of GIS. And this came about as a result of a meeting that I had with one of the faculties at Esri. And that is when I actually saw the, 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 the vastness of this. And since that time, it has been my wish to actually help our school and the university to expand this technology to really every student, faculty, staff mm -hmm. to have a GIS literate campus. Awesome. And so that is coming. Um, and I'm glad that I've seen a lot of um, progress over the course of uh, 20 years. Uh, but I think this is our moment. And so every student that has an opportunity to be educated in this Loma Linda University School of Public Health or Loma Linda University should, have, it should have, have a taste of that and see how that is going to change your life in terms of your professional life as you go out to serve. So um, one of the final questions we will ask you is how do you, we, you give us a little brief history about the history of GIS, how you became involved, but what do you see as the future of GIS? Where can it take us? So the future of GIS is going to be as part and parcel of our decision-making process. Hmm. I mean, I don't know how policy makers can actually decide to do to build an affordable housing somewhere for homeless people without GIs. Mm -hmm. I don't see it if you really want to understand what is going on. Because where you live has something to do with your state of health. Or your state of health has something to do with where you, you live. live. Right. Now, let me say this diseases do not obey the rule of boundaries. These zip code boundaries, city boundaries, these are for political <laughs> reasons. Mm -hmm. So if you have some um, infectious disease at Loma Linda and you want to go to Redlands, nothing will stop you on the border between Loma Linda and 
and red lines that says no stop here we don't want this disease over there now think about global travel yeah i travel quite a bit and when i'm waiting for my flight i actually stand by the window and watch the planes coming up and down landing and taking off these are people that are traveling around the world and if you have been to a um, an area where people come out of the um, the airport people meet their loved ones what do they do they hug yeah, them yeah. they think about an infectious <laughs> disease very potent one mm -hmm. and see how fast it can travel around the world the only thing that will help us to understand the spread of these diseases is some GIs. I don't know how old you were, but not too long ago, there was SARS, Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. We started from China. Within a few weeks, it's all over the world. And it was GIs that actually helped to understand how these things are spreading. These days, you don't actually choose to have GIS on your phone, do you? Just no. <laughs> no, you buy a phone, Yeah. it's there. Mm -hmm. The maps are there for you. So many. Okay. I use about four yes. on a weekly basis. Yeah. So it's going to be part of what we do. I can tell you that in the future, you will have to know how to use GIS. There's a whole push of GIS and policy development where the policy makers need to at least understand a map. So the map is an output. It's just a visualization tool. Before the map is printed, there has been a very, very um, complicated data analysis behind the scenes. And we need to be data conscious. So GIS will be a special decision support system that you can't make a decision without some map or some data analysis. And of course, in public health, we talk about evidence-based, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got to provide the evidence. Now, those of you in the doctoral programs you know, you start writing grants, throwing some maps. It makes sense. But whilst we have so much um, availability of data, I must um, remind you that in GIS, Gigo applies there. Gigo is garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> <laughs> so if you input um, bad data into your GIS, what you get out It'll is be going bad to be data. bad data. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. Definitely a lot of food for thought, Anthony. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, is there anything that you want to say, you know, to the entire, um, to our audience that you didn't mention at this, in this podcast? Well, to the audience, I want you to be very flexible in mind and in thinking because 
GIS can be applied to every situation. In fact, in public health, the GIS development has not been too advanced as compared to the utility companies. So there's a lot of opportunity here. Lots of it. And the sky is the limit when it comes to GIS and what you can do with it. What we do here is to just expose you to the tools and technologies that are out there. It is up to you, the user, to actually take it to the level and to the specific area that you want to explore. And we are always there to provide that support. Awesome. Well, thank you so very much, Dr. Wayafe, for being a part of this podcast. I have learned a lot. I, I don't know about you, Anthony. I, I learned so much. Um, I think, like, I, I got, felt like I was in church listening to a sermon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think for me, it's seeing how GIS can be used for nutrition, because as you said, it was mostly times when you think about epidemiologists, mm -hmm. but the mapping system and how it's important to policy, Pop, and, yeah. you know, and I think. I mean, I'm appreciative of that information, and um, I know Anthony is also, Absolutely. and um, we will definitely have you as a guest again. Sure. <laughs> you know? This is a part two, part yeah, three. This is, yeah, because I think there's a lot more that we can, mm -hmm. um, we can uncover as it relates to yes. GIS, which is Graphical Information Systems. Did I get it right? Geographic. Geographic. Information, information Systems. systems. Yeah. And I, I have to say that, um, all our courses are now online. Awesome. So that provides the flexibility as well. For anybody, For who's, anybody in, who's interested in. Who is interested in. In GIS. Yes. Okay. Because yeah. we want to make sure that it's available. To everybody. To everyone. Yes. And I think that goes to show how Loma Linda continues to reach out to the community. And so that's excellent. Well, thank you again. This has been another podcast of public health. And we look forward to you joining us next time as we discuss another exciting topic. So see you next week.